Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Make no mistake about it. It was God's decree that caused Caesar's decree. It was God designing the circumstances so that the Savior of the world would come into the world just as he had said, had been saying through the prophets for many, many years. Well, Christmas is almost upon us. Hopefully by now you've finished up your shopping and made everything ready for the traditions of your home. Speaking of traditions, have you ever seen a Christmas play or a manger scene that didn't include shepherds? It's hard to imagine Christmas without the shepherds. But what if they hadn't been there? What would have happened if they didn't have a close encounter? If there's room at the end and Mary gives birth at the end, do you think those shepherds ever would have gotten in to see? No way. I'm Rick Freeman. Merry Christmas and welcome to Crosswalk. Today, Pastor Clay is going to bring the final message in a series entitled Close Encounters of the Most Important Kind. Throughout the Christmas season, we've been looking at encounters that people had with angels having to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Three weeks ago, we looked at the encounter between the angel Gabriel and an elderly priest named Zacharias. Two weeks ago, we looked at the encounter between the angel Gabriel and a young Jewish girl named Mary. And last week, we took a look at an angel's encounter with Mary's fiancé, Joseph. Each of these encounters was special, and Pastor Clay showed us how these encounters impact our lives even today and what we can learn from those encounters. If it's just a story from 2,000 years ago, it's nice. But if it's more than that, if there's application, specific application for my life and how I can have peace and purpose and all those kind of things. Well, today's encounter is no different as Pastor Clay is going to show us from Luke chapter 2, some common ordinary people of society are going to help us see and understand that the good news of a great joy is really for all the people. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Close Encounter of the Most Important Kind. Started with Zacharias, the message that he and his wife Elizabeth would give birth to a son, even though they were past the age of bearing children, and that that son would be the forerunner of the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. John the Baptist would go before to prepare men's hearts to receive the truth. The second close encounter was with Mary as Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she was highly favored and that God had chosen her specifically for the task of bringing the Savior of the world into the world. Last week, Joseph had his close encounter of the most important kind as God came to, as an angel came to him speaking for God, to tell Joseph that it was okay, that even though it looked one way, even though it looked like Mary must have, must have cheated on him, must have had a physical relationship with some other man because he knew he hadn't. He knew he was desiring to honor God with his life and, and keep himself and his fiancée pure and all of those things, even though it looked one way. The angel told Joseph, don't worry. God has a plan. God is at work in this. And Joseph took Mary as his wife today. Luke chapter 2, possibly the most familiar of all the Christmas stories, or certainly one that's near and dear to our hearts, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census. 
each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, that was the region, from the city of Nazareth, that's where he was from, and Mary, to Judea, would have been to the south of where he was, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby, as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. Father, this morning I want to thank you for the privilege of gathering in your house. It is a privilege. It is an opportunity to gather with other people and acknowledge who you are and your presence in our life. Obviously, Father, we hope that that's something that we do all the time, but but Sunday, uh, traditionally, historically, the church has gathered gathered on the day that you rose from the dead, gathered to worship and to celebrate, to study and to pray and to to simply be a body of Christ gathered together. And this time of year is a special year for us as historically the church has celebrated the birth of our Savior around this time of the year. Obviously, Father God, there is much emphasis at Easter time, at the resurrection season, on an empty tomb, and it's very important, but we know that it had to begin with the birth of the one who would come. Mankind was unable to redeem himself. We were hopelessly lost in our own iniquity, in our own pride and selfishness and whatever else, as sin reveals itself in our lives. We could not help ourselves. There was no amount of good deeds that we could do, no amount of money that we could give. Nothing would make any difference. And so you 
our God and our Creator. In your infinite wisdom and sovereign plan, before the foundation of the world had already decreed that in the proper timing you would send your own Son to be the Savior of the world. God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And the world has never been the same since then. My life has never been the same since I was introduced to Jesus. And so I pray that as we look at this last close encounter of the most important kind this morning, this encounter between the angel and the angels and the shepherds, that we would look at some details and think about what it means for our life and be encouraged as a result of what we see from this text this morning. Thank you for your word. It is truth without any mixture of error. It's like a double-edged sword. It is able to cut away the, the things in my life that, that don't belong there. And it's able to sow in righteousness and holiness and, and love and purity and, and all the things that, that should be characteristics of a follower of Jesus. So, Father God, take your word, apply it to our lives today. And Father, if I haven't done it, I just thank you for these people who are here. There's lots of other places they could be, but they've chosen to come in here today. May you be honored in this place, in Christ's name, amen. From the story of the shepherds, I want to, this morning, in a few moments, share with you what I see as five details about this close encounter of the most important kind, and the importance and the application of those details in our lives. Because as if you attend cross-culture much, you've heard me say this or something like it many, many, many times. It, it, if it's just a story from 2,000 years ago, it's nice, it's, it's quaint, it's, it's okay. But if it's more than that, if there's application, specific application for my life, for how my life turns out, for how uh, I can get out of a life of sin and surrender my life to Christ and, and how I can have peace and purpose and all those kind of things... Uh, if it can't do that, then it is just a nice, quaint story, something to, to read once a year. So let's talk about five details in this close encounter of the most important kind that we can kind of get our mind around this morning. Let's start with this one. God designs everything for a close encounter. Now, I just read it, so I won't go through and read verses 1 through 8 again. If you like to take notes, there's an outline on the back of your information sheet. God designs everything for a close encounter, which is what these shepherds are about to have. The text indicates now it came about that Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Caesar Augustus was the, was the, the emperor of Rome. He was the ruler of the world, the, the known world. And it came about that Caesar Augustus issued a decree. But ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want to make sure that you understand. Make no mistake about it. It was God's decree that caused Caesar's decree. It was God designing the circumstances so that the Savior of the world would come into the world just as he had said, had been saying through the prophets for many, many years. And it was going to happen. It says that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. That's simply uh, a way that the writer simply saying the, the, the part of the earth that was under Roman domination, under Roman control, because that's the part that, that they would have been controlled, cared about, that's the part that they would have taken the census for, 
We know almost certainly that the census was taken uh, for tax purposes so that the, the Roman Empire could kind of figure out how much uh, uh, income they could expect to bring in. I'd say there's probably, I can't help but think there's probably also maybe a little bit of ego involved in this for Caesar Augustus, a little bit of a pride in this to be able to take a census of, of the billions uh, population on the earth that are, that are under his rule, under his dominion. And the text says in verse 3 that everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Now, that simply means uh, that in, in, the, uh, in the, the custom or the economy of the way the Roman government did it, or certainly the way they did it in Israel, uh, because of records that were kept and that sort of thing, they had the people go back to the, the homeland, the hometown of their descendants. It would be like me uh, going uh, back to Scotland for a census because my family, my line, my heritage is from Scotland. And so I'd go there even though I've never been there. Mary and Joseph, both of them, happened to be of the line, the lineage. They were descendants of King David. King David was born and raised in Bethlehem. And so because they were of the line of David, Joseph and Mary were going to go were required to go back to Bethlehem to be counted in the census. All of it, all of it is part of God's unique design to make sure that the Savior of the world is born in Bethlehem. So what's the big deal about that? Why is it such a big deal that that Jesus be born in Bethlehem? Here's why. Because God had said through the prophet many years before that the Savior of the world would be born in Bethlehem. And listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, this is important for you in our lives. You need to understand this. God always keeps His word. Always. Every time. Not most times, not sometimes, not a lot of times, but every time. God keeps His word. Think about it. 700 years, roughly 700 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Micah wrote these words. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. You're just a little, you're just a tiny little town. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. That last part kind of indicates that we're talking about more than just a mortal man. From the days of eternity. God declared that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. And he was going to be born right there. God orchestrated every bit of it. God designed every bit of it. God designed it so that, that Mary and Joseph would go because of a census to Bethlehem. God designed it, the timing of it, her pregnancy and everything, so that she would give birth while in Bethlehem. God designed it so that when she gave birth, she would give birth and she would lay her child in a manger. Yeah, now what about that? Why is that a big deal? Why, why does it matter that uh, Jesus has got to be laid in a manger? Well, think about it. This close encounter that comes to the shepherds. If Mary, if there's room at the end, okay? If there's room at the end and Mary gives birth at the end, do you think those shepherds ever would have gotten in to see? No way. No way. First off, shepherds in the... In the Jewish culture, shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean because they, they were with the animals all the time. They hung out with the animals. 
They're, they're probably pretty dirty. You know, you work around a farm, you get kind of dirty. They're probably a little smelly. Now, I was raised on a farm, so those smells smell good to me, but, but the, most people, they don't, probably a little smelly. And so I can just, I can just hear the, uh, the innkeeper, the, the hotel clerk, I don't care what the angel said, you're not getting in to my hotel. But God designed this close encounter because there was a world out there that needed to know that the Savior had been born. There was a world out there that needed to know that there was hope for their sin. There were shepherds out on a hillside that needed to know that God loved them. God cared about them. Little old, unimportant shepherds. God designed every bit of it. It's what God does, ladies and gentlemen. He designs everything for these close encounters that he desires to have with us. I Listen, I know I've told this story before, but it's so in my mind, it so beautifully portrays what we're talking about here that I, I, I don't mind sharing it again, and I'm sure you don't mind listening to it again if you've heard it. When uh, I made a trip to China a few years ago, my wife Cindy, uh, uh, Dr. Clary were, were with me, and uh, we all went to China to work with a, a family over there that was uh, sharing the message of Jesus, building relationships, and that sort of thing. Uh, China, as most of you know, is a, is a closed country to the gospel. You can't just openly preach so much and that sort of thing. And the church is what's called underground. There aren't necessarily... Anyway, you get the picture. So we went over there, and while we were there, uh, there was a a young man who had just come over who was also serving as a missionary. He had joined the team uh, over there, and he'd he'd been in the country. uh, At that point, when we met him, he'd been in the country two weeks, he and his family. And uh, we got there. I think we'd been there a day or two. I can't remember. And so um, the city we were in was kind of surrounded by mountains, and there was, there was one mountain that was particularly tall. Uh, it was the tallest mountain that surrounded this, uh, this city, and uh, that mountain was called Flag Mountain. Um, and it was called Flag Mountain because there was a big flag on top of it, apparently. Um, and so the, the, the young man, the new missionary, uh, asked uh, us, a uh, group of people, he said, anybody, he said, I, I, w- I want to climb Flag Mountain. I hear that's the thing to do when you get in town. I want to climb Flag Mountain. Uh, anybody want to go with me to climb Flag Mountain? Well, the missionary that we were working with, he had already climbed Flag Mountain, been there, done that. And, um, you know, once you climb a mountain, you know, I guess that's, that's kind of it. So, and I don't remember what I was going on, but, uh, but nobody else was going to climb it. So I told him, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll climb the mountain uh, with you uh, tomorrow. So uh, sure enough, we set out the next morning to climb Flag Mountain. And uh, he showed up. Uh, he had directions uh, from the missionary about how to get to the trail. There's like a trail that goes up Flag Mountain. So we get there, uh, we head out, and um, just like two uh, bumbling Americans, <laughs> we get totally lost trying to find this trail that goes up Flag Mountain, right? And we got about an hour behind. We're traping through uh, rice paddies and coming into little pockets of villages and uh, Chinese women are looking at us, and it's like we're very strange, and uh, we were a little strange. But uh, anyway, we're traipsing around there. We're trying to find our way. It took about an hour. We got about an hour behind, and uh, finally we 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 got to this place where the guy says, "I think this is it. I think this is what what uh, Danny said. I think we're close. This looks like it." And so we start up this trail, and just as, as we get up this little hill that went up to the only trail apparently that goes up Flag Mountain. Uh, we, uh, as, we, as we got right to the top of it, these two young Chinese men, uh, college-age students, uh, ran, ran into us. Boom! Right there at the top of the thing. And um, they're just elated to see us. They're just super excited to see us. And uh, 
uh, I, I don't know. They just seemed really, really excited to see us. And uh, they spoke broken English. They spoke much better English than we spoke Chinese. And, um, and so they just sang, we, are, we will go with you up the mountain. We're climbing. We're, we're, we're not going to leave you. We're going to go. And uh, so, you know, okay. We, so we start up the mountain. And uh, as we go, as we're walking, uh, the, the young missionary that's with me, and, and as he's talking and he's listening to these guys and they're, they're you know, saying thanks to him, he suddenly recognizes them. When he had arrived in the country two weeks earlier, the first day that he was there, the second day that he was there, uh, he had gone out with the missionary we were there working with to play a game of basketball. He's gone out to play, uh, pick up basketball, and it turns out that these two young men that we met on the trail that day were the exact same two young men that he had played basketball with two weeks earlier. This is uh, a city of uh, roughly about 100,000 people, if I remember right. Uh, had a university there and, you know, high-rises and, and all that kind of stuff. Pretty good-sized city by, by our standards. Very small by Chinese standards, but pretty good-sized city by our standards. And uh, so it suddenly dawns on him that these are the exact same two guys uh, that he and the other missionary had played basketball with two weeks earlier. And I thought, wow, what are, what are the odds of that happening in the first place? We go up and we start up going on up the trail. And in, in China, uh, or at least in that part of China, they, they bury their uh, loved ones. When they die, they bury them up on a mountain, like if they can. They, they bury them up on the mountain. And the higher they can go with them, I think it has something to do with their status uh, in, in life or, or whatever else. And so uh, as we're climbing, we come to one of these places where there's some, some clearly somebody's buried, and they say to us something about, you know, these, this is how we bury our loved ones, this is where they are. And, uh, and so we ask them what, what happens to these people when they go in the ground after they die, what, what happens then? Long story, not quite as long. They say, how can we know? We know who, who, no one knows. And we had the opportunity to share the message of Christ with those two young men. As a result of that encounter, it didn't happen that day, but as a result of that encounter, um, at least one of those young men came to know Christ as his Savior because of the relationship this young missionary built up with him, and they began to meet, and he trusted Christ as Savior, and he, then he took him uh, back to his home village and shared the message uh, with his family and with, with people in the village and that sort of thing, and it just continued to spread out from there. And I was thinking about uh, this, this point, this idea that God designs everything for close encounters. I want you to think about the the intricacies of what was involved in bringing us to that precise moment in time. Everything from, from our decision to go to China in the first place, our decision on when to go to China, the weather that day, this young man's desire to climb the mountain, my willingness to climb it with him, their desire to, to climb the mountain. I didn't tell you that, but their class had made a decision to climb the mountain that day, their whole class. These two young men, by the way, had overslept. They, they overslept and, and missed the whole class left. And when they woke up, they took off running and ran up the hill and just happened to run into us right at that moment. What if they hadn't overslept? I'm telling you, layer upon layer, intricacy upon intricacy about all of these things designed to bring us to one precise point on earth at one precise moment in time to share the message of Christ to out-of-shape Americans to have the opportunity to share with two young Chinese men searching for truth. And you can, you can go even deeper. You can go into their, their family's decision to send them to the college in the first place or how they came up with the money to do it or a hundred other things 
God designs, ladies and gentlemen, for close encounters. He designs it. I, I was reading uh, some stuff about just evidences for God's design. And, and they're, you know, they're all around us. If, if you really begin to slow down and think about it, the evidence of God's work is all around us. And I, I, was, I, was just, I just read some stuff on the human hand. Take a look at your hand. I don't care, right, left, both, you choose. Take a look at your hand a moment. Let me read this to you. The hand consists of a palm with four folding fingers and one opposing thumb. Each finger has three bones with joints that allow bending. The thumb has two bones with two joints. Muscles and tendons are attached to the 27 bones. The fingers consist of the index or pointer finger, middle finger, ring finger, and little finger. The thumb is on the opposite side of the little finger. The hand is attached to the arm through the wrist. The hand is controlled by the brain. The right hand is controlled by the left hemisphere of the brain, and the left hand is controlled by the right hemisphere of the brain. The brain sends signals to the hand telling it what it wants it to do. Two muscle groups take that message and accomplish movement in the hand. Extrinsic muscles extend from the forearm in the form of flexors and extensors. Y'all with me? There's a quiz later. Intrinsic muscles are located inside the hand. Extensors straighten the fingers out. Flexors allow the fingers to bend and grasp. The thumb has two flexors that help with holding on to objects. The brain signals the muscles in the arm, wrist, and hand to cooperate by using the extrinsic and intrinsic muscles to move the hand. With its impressive number of bones and joints, the hand can be used as a tool or a means of communication. (laughs) I've had some people use their hand as a means of communication. The rest of y'all catch that in a minute. The hand is one of the most sophisticated aspects of the human body. With it, we can operate tools, articulate ideas, or perform delicate tasks such as surgery or needlework. It's just the design of God, ladies and gentlemen, is an amazing thing. And I just want to say to you this morning to just be reminded that God is able to design purposes and plans for your life. He's able to take the good, the bad, and the ugly and design out purposes that bring you into a closer encounter with Him. All right, let's look at a second detail. God desires a close encounter with everyone. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This certainly was a night that the shepherds would, uh, would never forget. Now, I'm sure they had no idea that they were about to have a close encounter with God, when, when, when the day ended and the night began, maybe some of them are asleep at this point. Maybe some of them are gathered around a campfire and they're talking sheep prices. I like to think that some of them were 
talking about the long-awaited promise of the coming of the Messiah. But whatever all that they were talking about, they experienced a close encounter of the most important kind. As the angel appears to them in the midst of their mundane lives, and the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. I said a moment ago, uh, shepherds were considered ceremonially unclean. A lot of people didn't want to be around them. They couldn't probably couldn't just walk into the hotel. The one place where shepherds were welcome was in a stable. And notice that the angel delivers this message specifically for them. This shall be a sign unto you. You'll find a child wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now, most of you are probably aware that a manger is simply a feeding trough. It's, it's, it's what the animals would eat out of when they were in the stables, where they'd eat grain or, or hay or whatever the case may be. Shepherds were quite familiar with mangers, probably just not with babies in them. But in that moment, it was a sign specifically for them. But it's, the sign was specifically for them so that they would know where to go, so they would know that this child really was from God. But the message wasn't just for them. This good news of great joy, as the angel puts it, shall be for who? Say it. All the people. All the people. God desires a close encounter with everyone. I truly believe that. Uh, On another mission trip, one time I was in uh, Kenya, and my interpreter and I were walking uh, down this trail, and we were coming to the end of the trail, uh, the end of this one, and we were getting ready to turn around, and there was one more hut at the end of this trail, and so we went down to the hut, and there was a a man in there and his wife and uh, a couple of kids, I can't remember exactly, and uh, the man was standing outside the hut as we were walking up, and he invited us in. We we sat down with them, and through my interpreter, we shared the, the, the good news of Jesus, the message of God's love and of our problem, our sin problem, and of God's solution of sending his son as the sinless sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. And that to, to prove that, that the sacrifice had been accepted, that God the Son who died on the cross and went in the tomb didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead and came back to life. And that he's coming back again to establish his kingdom. We shared the message of Jesus. That is the message of Jesus. And that family, when we finished, joyfully, heartily made the decision to accept Christ as our personal Savior. And after they did that, we shared with them about Here's now what you need to do as a follower of Christ. Here's what needs, and we're gonna we're trying to start a church in this part of the the area, and you know all this sort of information. We got ready to leave, and the man told us at that point that that he didn't actually live in that area. I guess when we were telling about the church, and he said, "I don't actually live in this area." He was he was there uh, at that hut. It was a family belonged to his family or whatever. He was only there for that one day. He'd come into town for some type of family business. I don't remember if somebody had died or whatever the case was. But he was there for only one day, only that one day. And I'll never forget him saying uh, to me through the interpreter that when he saw us walking down the trail, coming towards his, his hut, he said, I knew God sent you to me. 
You seem to have a very firm grasp on the fact that God is quite capable of, of orchestrating and designing so that anybody, whether it's in America or Iceland or Africa or wherever it might be, that the message of the cross can go to anyone and everyone. God desires that kind of relationship. Now, by the way, let me say this. When, when I say that God desires, it's not necessarily the same as when, when we say we desire. When we say we desire something, it's because it's something we, we think we want or we think we need. You know, something like that. Not so necessarily with God. God doesn't need anything. God is no less God if you accept or reject him. God is no less God. God is not lonely. God is not incomplete. God is not anything. God has chosen to love us because we need to be loved by him. God has chosen to love us. Now, does it bring God pleasure when a person surrenders their life to Jesus Christ and they, when they're redeemed and saved? Absolutely. Does it bring God joy? Absolutely. You know the Bible says that all of heaven throws a party over one sinner, the Bible says, over one sinner that repents. But God is not any less God. He desires, He wants you to have a relationship with Him. But I also believe the Bible teaches that men can reject God's desire upon their life and can choose not to enter into a relationship with Him, can choose not to have a closer encounter with Him, can go in an opposite direction. But that's not God's, please hear me, that's not God's desire for your life. Can I just remind you maybe of a few verses of Scripture this morning? Um, Most of you probably know John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the, what's that next part? World. The world. That He gave His only begotten Son that, what's that next word? Whoever. You, do you read any exclusivity in that? Does that sound like he's, no, certain people, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Same idea, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Not wishing for, say it, any to perish, but for, say it, all to come to repentance. See where I'm going with this? It's not, it's not rocket science. Everybody, anybody, everybody. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. I'll enter this relationship with you if you'll simply open your heart and your life to me. That's God's desire. Everyone. All right. Let's, uh, Let's get a third one in here. God deserves praise from everywhere because of our close encounter. I love it when we praise God. Get when we gather and have the opportunity to praise God corporately. Verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. God deserved the praise. He still deserves the praise of the angelic host. God deserves the praise uh, from, from all of heaven. But it's also true that God deserves praise here on earth. Because we are the one, ladies and gentlemen, with whom he has made peace, is offering peace. Not with the angels, by the way. For man, Christ became a man. For man, mankind, Christ died a man. So that you and I could have a relationship, could have peace with him. And that deserves praise. I I don't care what's going on 
in our lives and my life and your life, and I know it's, it, it can wear us out at times, but if we can just be reminded of, of what God has done, how good God is, and how much God deserves to be praised, then, then whether we're at home during the week or whether we gather in this place, we won't be able to shut up. I, I, I wish I was better at that. I wish I did that more. I wish I, wish I just was so consumed with, with the idea of God and the goodness of God and what God has done that my praise, that I, I wouldn't even hear y'all singing because I'm just singing so loud. It just drowns all y'all out and, and y'all are doing the same. Um, I, I've already, I mentioned a couple of mission trips uh, today. It's just, I just it's been on my mind a lot. And uh, one of the things that I, I've had the pleasure of traveling a lot of places in the world, and one of the most uh, enjoyable things for me is when those opportunities, different parts of the world that I've had, to gather with other believers and worship. It, it's, it's an amazing experience. Now, I, I don't speak the language of any, almost any of the countries I've gone. I, I speak none or very little of the language. And sometimes they might sing a song that, that I was familiar with, but they would sing it in their own language. Sometimes they'd sing a song that I'm not familiar with at all. But I'm telling you, it is a beautiful thing when you hear the praises of people everywhere. No matter what continent, no matter what language, no matter what skin color, no matter what age group, no matter what uh, economic status, no matter what anything, to lift praises to God. God deserves that, ladies and gentlemen. He just deserves it in our lives. Listen, can, can you... Get your mind around a few of these this morning. Exodus uh, chapter 15, verse 2. Would you say these out loud with me? Why don't we do this? The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. Say it out loud. Say it loud. I will praise Him. First Chronicles 16, verse 9. Say it. Sing to Him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. First Chronicles 16.25. Say, say it. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You see what the Bible is saying this over and over and over again. Come on. Psalm 63.3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Do you understand how all these verses are rising above our circumstances? They're rising above life's conditions. They're rising above all of that. Psalm 66, verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound His praise abroad. Are y'all still reading out loud? Maybe I'm just getting louder. Psalm 89, 5. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. Come on. Exodus, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Oh, why not? One more. Revelation 19, verse 5. Give praise, say it, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. He deserves it, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's not, and he just deserves it from everyone. All right, uh, real quickly. God delivers on his promise for a close encounter. When? Say it. Every time. Every time. Verse 15 and 16. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Angels come, tell them this. 
they say, yeehaw, let's go see this. This doesn't happen every day in shepherd land. So they came in a hurry, verse 16, so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary, watch this, to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And that's what the, I think that's what the angel said they were going to find. God delivers. God delivers. Say it. Say it out loud. God delivers. But, but this circumstance is saying this, or this looks like that, or this. God delivers on his promises every time. I was reading this story of a missionary couple in China, as a matter of fact. Uh, Dick and Margaret uh, Hillis, I believe was their name. They were in China uh, at the time of the Japanese invasion uh, in World War II. And they were receiving the reports, like everybody else was, of the, the advancement of the Japanese army that invaded China, and they were moving forward. They, were, they lived in a small uh, village in inland China, uh, Xintu, or I think was the name of it. And they'd heard the reports, and there was a lot of uncertainty of what's going on. Well, at the worst possible time that it could happen, really, Dick uh, Hillis uh, developed appendicitis. And they, they knew that his life depended on him being carried by rickshaw or wagon or however they did it, um, to a hospital a long ways away. They had to get him there. They had two very young children, and they, they just didn't think the children could survive the trip. And so Margaret made the decision to stay there with the children. And on uh, January 21st, I think I read, 1941, uh, she watched her husband be carried off. Not long after that, a colonel in the Chinese army came to her door and informed her that the Japanese were advancing and that the village was going to have to be evacuated. Johnny was a year old. Their daughter was two months old. And Margaret knew that they would never survive as refugees. And so again, she made the decision to stay put. Did she experience trepidation, fear? I'm sure In the morning, she got up, and uh, there was a calendar on their wall. It was a daily calendar, and she tore off the day before, and the new day revealed the scripture for the day. And uh, it was from uh, Psalm 56, I believe it was, verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in you. And she found comfort in those words. The time came... uh, the next day when the sound of rifle fire was beginning to be heard off in the distance and the, all the villagers began to evacuate and soon they were, they, were all, they were all gone. And it was just Margaret and her two little kids, two little children. And she was feeling alone and despondent. And she woke in the morning and she tore off the calendar and the verse of the day was from Psalm 9, verse 10. You, Lord, have not forsaken them that seek you. And she found comfort in those words. Throughout the course of the day, she could hear the gunfire, the cannon fire, then getting closer and closer. And she began to think, I, I, I don't even, what am, how, how am I going to even feed my kids? What, what am I going to do? And she woke the next morning and she tore off the calendar. And the verse in Genesis 50, 21 said, I will nourish you and your little ones. And she said, not long after that, an elderly Chinese woman showed up at her door with a pail full of steaming goat's milk, and right behind her was someone else that brought a, a, a basket of eggs, and she was strengthened. 
Finally, when it looked as if, sounded as if the, the Japanese were, were practically on her doorstep, she couldn't sleep at all that night for fear of the gunfire and fear that they were going to come in, what they would do to her, what they would do to her children. And she awoke in the morning and she tore off the calendar and it revealed Psalm 56, 9, when I cry unto you, then shall my enemies turn back. And Margaret suddenly realized that it had become deathly quiet. And before long, villagers began to scraggle into the village. And the colonel showed up at her door and said he couldn't explain it, didn't know what happened. But for some reason, the, the, the Japanese had, had turned back when they were almost to their village. They had, they had turned back or gone in another direction or, or whatever. And Margaret Hillis said, uh, as she recounted this story, that, that she turned and she looked at that calendar and she believed with all her heart that she was reading the very handwriting of God on her wall. It's what God does. He delivers on His promises for our lives. Now, does He deliver on what we want? Not necessarily. Does He deliver the way we think it should be? Not necessarily. Does He deliver everything we think we want in life? No. What He delivers on are His promises. What He delivers on is peace in the midst of the battle. What he delivers on is calm in the midst of the storm. That's what God does. He walks with us through the trials, through the circumstances, through the difficulties, through the hardships, through the uncertainty, through all of the stuff. He he walks with us. He promises to do that. Does he promise there won't be trials in life? No, as a matter of fact, he promises just the opposite. There'll be plenty of them in this world. I, I don't know whether it's accurate or not, But uh, Dr. Everett R. Storms did a study, and he said that there are 7,487 promises from God to man in the Bible. 7,487. I don't know whether that number is accurate or or, or not, but here's what I know. I know that God delivers on his promises every single time. As I said before, not sometimes, not most of the times, not a lot of the times, every single time. In God's word, you'll find his promises, and you can find encouragement and hope and strength in the midst of those. And then let me just close one more real quickly. Man declares the good news of the close encounter every chance. God's been doing all this stuff. Well, well, what's our response? Well, we praise him. We talked about that. But look what the shepherds did in verse 17. When they had seen this, they made known the statement. They made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. By who? Who told them? Yeah, yeah, come on. The the shepherds! The shepherds told them. Who? What? The shepherds! Mary treasured all these things in in her heart. The shepherds went back. Went back where? Went back to their same life. Went back to the the same sheep that they'd been watching. Went back to the same fields that they'd been working in. Went back to the same job that that they'd been doing all along. But nothing was the same. I don't believe anything was ever the same for them. Because they had been hand-delivered a message directly from God for them and for everyone. And they couldn't shut up about it. I can see them. I can see little boys, little shepherd boys, many years later, still sitting around recounting the story to his children or his grandchildren or to, to any other shepherds in the field. Uh, tell you about that time, them angels 
scared. Yeah, yeah, Hezekiah, heard it all before. Well, let me tell you. Why? Because they, they, could, they couldn't get over this. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. They went back. And notice what they, what they made known. I'm sure they talked about, the, the, I'm sure there was light, and I'm sure the angelic host, and I'm sure the sound of them all singing, praising God was beautiful, and, and I'm sure they talked about all that. But the text specifically says that what they made known was the statement about the child. And what's the statement? It's in verse 11. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's what they made known, ladies and gentlemen. In the midst of our busyness of life, especially here at Christmas time, oh, there's so much to do, there's so much to buy, there's so much to decorate, there's so many places to go. But this is the statement that we ought to be making known. And we ought to be talking about it everywhere. That's why we do what we do. That's why we, that's why we send teams out all over the world. That's why... We give money to mission endeavors. That's why we have various ministries in this church. That's why we do it. Because this is the statement that we have to make known. That in the city of David there has been born a Savior. And He is Christ the Lord. It's a close encounter. God desires it with everyone. So can I ask you this morning, have you experienced a close encounter with God in your life? I don't just mean you've heard about him. I don't mean you know the story. I mean, have you encountered God personally in your life? Because God has designed everything to bring you to this precise moment where you could be confronted with that very question and say, wow, have I really encountered God? Do I understand what it means to be a sinner and to be separated from him and what his son did for me? And have I accepted that gift of salvation? Has that encounter changed me as a man or as a woman? And then, even if you could say, yes, I, I know that I've encountered God. I, I know that I, I, I've accepted Christ my Savior. I'm part of the family. I, I, I believe that I've done that. Is God still encountering your life? Because guess what? He desires to. He desires to continue to, to draw you into a closer and closer and closer encounter with Him. And we've got to tell people. I'll tell the story and then I'll go. We'll close. Um, D.L. Moody some of you may have heard me say about something about him before. Uh, he was a very famous evangelist in the 19th century. Uh, he, he, he was based out of Chicago, uh, but his ministry took him really to place he preached all over the world. He preached to millions of people even back then, and at the very least, hundreds of thousands came to Christ as a result of his ministry. He, he truly was the Billy Graham of his day. Impressive ministry, famous, worldwide, all that sort of stuff. But do you know what's most impressive to me about D.L. Moody? I've read a, a biography about him uh, a number of years ago. And I'll never forget reading that Moody had made this decision, this commitment in his life, that he would not lay his head down and go to sleep at night until he had shared the good news of Jesus with at least one person that day. And in the biography, it said that many a cold, windy Chicago night Moody, after a long day of ministry and preaching and ministering and whatever all he had done, would crawl into bed and it would suddenly come into his head that he hadn't actually personally 
Yes, he had preached, he'd done all that, but he hadn't personally engaged one single person that day with the message of Christ. And, and as the biography tells it, that, that on more than one occasion, uh, Moody uh, dragged himself out of the bed, got dressed, and went down onto the cold, windy streets of Chicago to, to find some person to share the message of Christ with. Uh, that I would have that kind of burden, that you would have that kind of burden. To God be the glory, what he would do with us would be unbelievable. That's what God desires. I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad the shepherds didn't keep the news of the birth of the Savior to themselves. Maybe their example should challenge all of us to ask ourselves a very important question. Do I keep the announcement of Christ to myself? Or am I as excited as the shepherds were to share with everyone about the greatest gift ever given? As Pastor Clay reminded us in today's message, God wants to have a close encounter with everyone. Have you had a close encounter of the most important kind? Have you come to Christ, confessed your sin, accepted by faith His free gift of salvation, and been adopted into the family of God? If not, why not do it right now? From all of us at Cross Culture Church, we pray a blessed Christmas season to each and every one of you. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, and we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.